from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm. I am sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you have taken a break from your last-minute Christmas shopping to be with us. The program can be found at TonyPerkins.com. And as well, your gift to Family Research Council at TonyPerkins.com will be doubled between now and December 31st. Thank you so much for all that you make possible. On the program today, the military is focusing on extremism within its own ranks. In the process... Are we missing extremists coming into the country from the southern border? We'll talk about that with Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. Also, how did a provision in the National Defense Authorization Act that would have forced women to register for the draft get stripped out at the last minute? We'll talk about this good news story and this victory for common sense a little later as well. Also, a doctor's response to President Biden's speech today on Omicron. How bad is the Omicron variant? Are we ever going to get back to a normal life? Dr. Andrew Bosham will join us later for that conversation. But now for our top story. Earlier today, President Biden addressed the nation as people across America headed into the holidays. In his remarks, the president laid out his latest plan to address the rise in COVID cases, now more than 70% of which are the Omicron strain. Not surprisingly, he continued to push for vaccination, even while acknowledging that fully vaccinated people will get COVID. All these people who have not been vaccinated, you have an obligation to yourselves, to your families, and quite frankly, I know I'll get criticized for this, to your country. Get vaccinated now. It's free. It's convenient. I promise you, it saves lives. And I honest to God believe it's your patriotic duty. President Biden also said that Omicron is cause for concern, but not cause for panic. But other actions have indicated they may want people to be scared. Here with me now to talk about this and more is U.S. Representative Kevin Brady. He's the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee, and he represents the 8th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Brady, welcome back to the program. Good to see you, Joseph. Hope you're all ready for Christmas. Oh, we are We are getting ready. I got four more days, I think, still. So uh, it's just starting for me, honestly. What was Good your reaction you. to the president's remarks today about Omicron? Yeah, so I think uh, 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 too little too late in the sense that, look, back when he was rushing through and congressional uh, Democrats almost uh, $2 trillion of COVID stimulus, there was only about a dime for every dollar that actually was focused on COVID. At the time, Republicans, especially conservatives, warned the president, look, you're taking your eye off the ball. There's not enough money in here for testing and diagnosis. The things, frankly, families and people need to uh, as they uh, need as they're looking at their own personal choice and uh, safety here. So now, uh, you know, months and months and months after it was really needed, I think he's He's starting to buy tests and send them out, issues like that. But it seems to me like he's just taking his whole eye off the ball while he's pursued this real extreme socialist agenda, this uh, 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 pro-abortion agenda, this open borders, this surrender to terrorist 
type agenda, crime agenda, unfortunately, in America. So, you know, I think the president bears uh, a good deal of responsibility for the country's preparedness at this point. There's a specific remark in his speech from today that I want to ask you about, and we played it in the opening. He said that it was our patriotic duty to be vaccinated. Now, he said there he expected some criticism, but what's your reaction to that? So, look, I am vaccinated and I'm boosted. I made that choice. Uh, you know, I, I urge my constituents to take a look at this. You know, do your research, talk to your doctor, make, make whatever choice is right for you. And we need uh, to respect that. I think that the wrong way to go about it is the way he's done it, which is first he questioned the vaccine's safety when President Trump was developing it. Uh, then these mandates to force Americans to do it was exactly the wrong way. Uh, to go about, and I'm hope hope the courts will uphold our constitutional freedom to make that choice uh, ourselves. But at the end of the day, you know, I, the bottom line is, unfortunately, this administration has been all over the road. It is tough when I talk to my constituents; they don't have faith in the authority. They don't trust government's uh, comments and descriptions about this. And so, I think until the president can restore some faith in trust in how the government is handling this, I, I think we are going to struggle getting those vaccination numbers up. Uh, and again, I think, look, you've got to trust people to do the research, talk to their doctor, do the right thing. The president talked about many approaches to dealing with this latest surge, and including uh, directing Secretary Austin to mobilize thousands of our military members who are doctors, <laughs> nurses, medics and military medical personnel to deploy overburdened hospitals in January and February. Now, we also know that many of these medical facilities uh, laid off many personnel because of the COVID vaccine mandates. Is this his way of offsetting those losses, do you think? You know, I think that's what he's trying to do. I, my first thought, Joseph, as you were talking about that is, you know, here in Texas, we wish the president paid a tenth of a much attention as to our border and what's going on there, where he's not visited, refuses to acknowledge the, the terrible humanitarian, uh, criminal, drug trafficking, sex and human trafficking going on there. So I think uh, there is a point here. Look, our hospitals uh, are struggling. Our nurses, healthcare providers, they've been on emergency footing for a year and a half, and frankly, they're exhausted that way. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, perhaps that could be helpful for a short time. Um, but I know, too, these same hospitals are asking uh, the, uh, the president's own Department of Health and Human Services for help, you know, for funding nurses, helping relieve some of that strain. And so far, they're not getting anything from the administration. So this might be one way of trying to ease that temporarily. But I think there are smarter ways. I want to talk also just about the psychological approach, the attitude we should be taking with respect to Omicron. And President Biden addressed that today. He said that Omicron is cause for concern, but not a cause for panic. But just yesterday, White House COVID coordinator Jeff Zients said that if you're unvaccinated, quote, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Do you see those as consistent messages? No, Joseph, they're not. And you noticed, as I did, that the administration uh, reacted very severely when Omicron first came out. 
even though doctors here in Texas and Houston Center were still studying what exactly this virus did, you know, how contagious was it? You know, how severe was it? What kind of symptoms? And if you're already vaccinated, you know, what would the impact be on you? So the administration acted without even knowing the science in this case on Omicron. And I worry, as you do, they're sending mixed signals around. Look, I think I, I worry about each of these um, uh, COVID uh, uh, variants because just because they affect people so differently, an 85-year-old can get COVID and survive. You know, a 20-year-old gets a, a variant and doesn't. It's just, it is still so hard to predict. I, I That's one of the reasons I've encouraged people to take a hard look, you know, at a vaccine to see if it's right for them, just because um, it's so hard to predict how it affects individual people. But that's why you've got to, you have to have confidence and respect people's views and opinions on whether they could vaccinate or not. I think that's exactly right. President Biden also today seemed to suggest that he wasn't interested in lockdowns and specifically was not interested in closing schools. Do you think those are good indications? Well, I hope so. But the fact of the matter is that science has shown that uh, recent lockdowns and certainly, you know, keeping kids out of school has been so harmful to them, although they still, you know, target parents who are just speaking out and expressing their frustration with local school boards. So they're, I think, hypocritical there. The other point is they continue to push for this $5 trillion Build Back Better bill that has nothing to do with healing the economy, certainly nothing to do with the COVID virus and drives inflation up. And right now for American families, you know, you're paying, new study shows you you paid $3,500 more this year to buy the exact same things you did the year before. It is crushing yeah. working families and small businesses. You know, so so look, stop distracting with this big socialist agenda that drives up inflation. Focus on healing the economy and healing in healthcare. You're the ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. You've talked a lot about the economic impact of the federal government's COVID response. What are your concerns there? Yeah, so I do worry about, uh, even though the president is, isn't talking about it, we are seeing, you know, uh, like in New York City and other regions, the, East, the West Coast as well, you're seeing de facto lockdowns here with uh, vaccine uh, proof for going into restaurants or certain public facilities. You know, I think in many ways we still have in those democratic states you know, a strong uh, economic impact down pressure because of their actions with COVID that really hurt, I think, those regions, especially makes it tougher for small businesses to survive. I think the only thing worse is passing that trillion, $1.2 trillion in tax hikes on our job creators and Main Street businesses that are in the Build Back Better plan. It doesn't get the attention it deserves, but it's going to crush small businesses and I think drive U.S. jobs overseas. In a related point, a, a new analysis from the Brookings Institute, their centrist think tank said that inflation, rising inflation, has erased at least half the average wage gains for frontline workers. Why do you think this is, and what's the impact of that? Yeah, actually, I think they're underestimating that. I just saw a new study, Joseph, that shows that um, the inflation has been so high this year that it's wiped out three years of real wage growth. In other words, how much are you getting ahead each year for working families? So look at stepping back three years in your purchasing power. It's, it is uh, 
it is tough. And what the other thing I've noticed too is new studies show that it is the poor and the working poor who are getting hit the hardest with inflation. Yet the president continues to drive policies that drive up prices um, on families, but also on businesses and on your products in a big way. So, look, I, I think the economy would be doing so much better without the $2 trillion COVID stimulus from March, and certainly will do much better without this $5 trillion Build Back Better scheme. Well, to that point, at the end of his press conference today, President Biden, in, in kind of an uh, uh, off-the-cuff remark, said that he and Joe Manchin were going to get something done together. What do you think he meant by that? You know, I, I don't know, because I think Senator Manchin was very clear, in effect, what he was telling the president, the White House staff, and his fellow colleagues in the Senate was, um, you're not listening. Uh, I won't be bullied. I am not supporting this bill, period. So the question is, are they going to listen to him? Because he is worried about inflation. He's worried about jobs going overseas. He's worried about all this social spending, including paying people more to stay home than to go back to work. And so the big question, Joseph, is will they listen to him and respond? And even if they do come back with a smaller package, I, my prediction is the extreme left in the House will certainly rebel against that as well. So I think there are a couple dynamics here that work for, I think, middle-class families and Main Street businesses who don't want this Build Back Better thing. Congressman Kevin Brady, thank you so much for your time today. Good to see you, Joseph. Merry Christmas. Great to see you. Merry Christmas. Now, coming up, the Biden administration wants to sniff out extremism in our military. But are they paying enough attention to extremism coming into the country through our... Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. 
to get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications. Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony today. Yesterday, the Department of Defense revealed and put into effect the latest update to its anti-extremism policy that Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby claimed is about extremist activity, not about ideology. As Secretary Austin has emphasized, the department is focused on prohibited activity, not on a particular ideology, thought, or political orientation. The department has always maintained a distinction between thoughts and actions. Now, properly defined, we, of course, do want to see an end to extremist activity. But is the focus on extremism inside the military distracting us from stopping a greater threat at the southern border? Case in point, last week in Arizona patrol agents apprehended a potential terrorist with ties to Yemeni subjects of interest. And keep in mind that the number of gotaways, which is border crossers seen by agents but not apprehended, has been as high as 1,000 per day. Joining me now to talk about this and more is U.S. Representative Vicki Hartzler, who is a member of the House Armed Services Committee. She represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Congresswoman Hartzler, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Joseph. It's good to be here. It's great to see you. What was your reaction yesterday to the new policy guidance from the uh, Department of Defense? Well, I'm still sorting through all of the rules, but I can tell you, I think that this is just an overblown exercise when we should be focusing on real threats elsewhere, as you pointed out. Uh, there have been less than 100 members of the armed services which we have 2.1 million members of the armed services and reserves who have been let go for extremist activities over the last year. And that comprises 0.0048% of our military. And yet after January 6th, Secretary Austin ordered a complete stand down of our entire military across the world, brought everybody in off the training fields, and had them sit down and look at PowerPoints and discuss their feelings. I, I really feel like this is an overblown attempt to go after perhaps conservatives. Uh, obviously, we don't want genuine terrorists uh, in our military ranks, but I'm going to be watching this very, very closely to make sure they don't use these new rules to go after someone who just has uh, conservative viewpoints. 
Well, I appreciate you doing the math for us on that because I did know the number was less than 100, and less than 100 of 2 million is a very small percentage. Now, we played that clip from Secretary John Kirby. He said that the Department of Defense is focused on activity, not thought. But notably, one of their definitions for extremist activities is, quote, advocating widespread unlawful discrimination based on race, color, national origin, religion, sex, gender identity, or sexual orientation. Now, this is familiar language to us in many non-discrimination codes, and we are familiar with the ways private citizens have been targeted in the market for their beliefs based on the exact same language. Do you think this will lead the Pentagon to targeting service members because of what they believe, not necessarily what they do? Well, it's something certainly we need to watch because, as you pointed out, the Biden administration and others have used this language to go after just simply people of faith. And so does that mean that if you're a soldier, sailor, airman, marine, or guardian, and you simply express your views that you believe marriage should be between a man and woman, uh, will you be targeted as an extremist and uh, perhaps you know, asked to leave or, or thrown out of the military uh, or had some disciplinary action? We don't know yet. Uh, they said widespread discrimination against. Well, what does that really entail? Um, I guess we will find out. But, you know, the military has been under uh, so much stress uh, over the last year, not only because of of the what happened in Afghanistan and the just the debacle that that was and the blow to our military, but also with these vaccine mandates, that has also been very stressful and difficult for thousands and thousands of our men and women in uniform who, for various reasons, did not feel comfortable doing that. And to date, as far as I know, the Pentagon has not allowed any religious exemptions for any of our military, not one. And I just think that is wrong. And we have good men and women who have served our country for years. Many of them have been deployed multiple times who are being forced out of the military now uh, just simply because they would not be granted, the religious exemption would not still be allowed to serve because they did not feel comfortable uh, taking this vaccine. And so this is just adding one more layer of stress uh, that is unneeded on our men and women in uniform, when at the same time we have Russia on the border of Ukraine, perhaps any day threatening to go in uh, that very key country, that democracy there, in uh, Europe, Asian area. Then we have the China flying over Taiwan, threatening perhaps to take over Taiwan. We have Iran pursuing a nuclear weapon. And all the while, uh, it seems like the Biden administration's uh, Pentagon just wants to go after people on their beliefs and, and focus on that. It's just a wrong priority. And to that point, a uh, person of interest, a potential terrorist from Yemen, was just apprehended at the southern border. We know that thousands a day are coming across the border who are not apprehended. Given the Biden administration's position on the border, do they just not see this as a serious national security threat? No, they just seem to ignore what is going down there. They opened up the border wide by stopping to build the border uh, wall. They did away with the Remain in Mexico policy. And then they tell everyone, if you come here, that we're going to give you amnesty, uh, the Build Back Better bill that uh, thankfully was stopped by Joe Manchin, at least for now, uh, would have given amnesty to 8 to 11 million illegal aliens in, in, uh, in our country. And so they are encouraging people to come. They've opened up the border. 
And then they just seem to not care about the national security threat that is very real, uh, where individuals, as you say, coming across who are known terrorists, uh, uh, we see record amounts of drugs coming across. We have record amounts of overdoses in our communities as a result of the all the drugs that have come across. And then we have human trafficking as well. So, uh, as you know, the president assigned the vice president to be the border czar and to to go after this root problem, but uh, she is nowhere to be found. Finally, finally went down after weeks and weeks of not even going to the border, and then she didn't even really go to the border, just was in and out, and has done nothing to rectify this problem. So it's very, very concerning. The priorities of this administration aren't about the security and safety of its citizens. They're more about uh, impacting and, and administering the Green New Deal and uh, being friendly to those who are dangerous to our country. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, thank you so much for your time and Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you too. It is an issue of priorities. And coming up, while there are many concerns about what's happening in the military, there is some good news about one effort to stop a really bad idea. We'll talk about it when we come back. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Glad that you are with us. Last week, we started looking back over the past year and highlighting some of the good news and developments that we have witnessed. As we did so, it's been clear how God has been at work even in challenging times and challenging administrations. And one mountain that we've seen him move is one that FRC was very actively working on, and that is the National Defense Authorization Act, or the NDAA. 
Because the NDAA is considered must-pass legislation, the left tried to inject bad provisions into it. But FRC was there to put up a fight. And here to highlight the battle over NDAA and the victories that came out of it is FRC's Director of Federal Affairs for Family and Religious Liberty, Mary Beth Waddell. Mary Beth, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. Great to be with you, Joseph. Well, this is a great story, and I think people are going to be encouraged by this. But to start it off, remind people what the National Defense Authorization Act is. So the NDAA, as we call it, like you said, is the National National Defense Authorization Act. And it is essentially the piece of legislation that helps fund and authorize the different policies within our military and Department of Defense. It's where you're going to get military infrastructure, military health care, pay raises for the military. Um, This year, there's authorizing uh, funding to advance the development of various missile defense programs, systems, things of that nature, um, and also different support for our allies. And so it's sort of the all-encompassing package to make sure that, that our national security is secure. Is it fair to think of it as the military budget? Absolutely. So why this year was there a priority placed on including language that would require women to register for the draft? Well, as you were just speaking with the congresswoman, the this administration has an agenda. And that agenda is uh, to blur the lines of gender. And that's uh, what you saw in this. You know, this is a, a sets out the policy parameters of uh, the military and of the Defense Department. And so they started wanting to tinker with some of that policy and say, we're going to begin to uh, not recognize the differences between men and women. Uh, We're going to say, you know, under this false equality claim that, oh, we need to to mandate that women register for the draft, uh, even though they can perfectly well volunteer, they're a great asset to our military, Um, FRC supports uh, women serving. We just don't support them being mandated into combat. And that's really what was being required here uh, under this false guise of equality for women. And tell us a little bit more about that. Why do you think this was bad policy? Well, number one, it's it's unnecessary. Uh, If you look at the numbers, you don't have to call up women before men. Uh, you would only, if we needed to more than double our military to about 5 million, you would only need about 1.5% more male population to join. Uh, and then it's also dangerous because, again, you, you're erasing the distinctions between men and women. And while there are women who can meet the high burden standards physically for combat, that percentage is much lower than in the male population. And specifically when you're dealing with the draft, there's no way to really account for that and ensure that only those top tier women are mandated into combat. And therefore that then becomes detrimental to the lethality, readiness and unit cohesion of our military. And if we need a draft, then we absolutely need the most lethal, most ready and most cohesive military to be able to respond to whatever's occurred to require that. There were many who said at the beginning of this, when the language is inserted, that it was essentially a foregone conclusion and that was just going to be the way it was going to be. Tell us the story of how this went from something that seemed inevitable to ultimately something that uh, was stripped out at the last moment. Absolutely. It was such a whirlwind uh, ride the last few months, going all the way back to the summer. 
you know, when the text was released, FRC, uh, you know, we looked at the language, began scrubbing it, seeing if there was uh, any problematic language, and obviously we found some. And as we started alerting folks uh, on the Hill and other outside organizations and even our constituency, letting them know what we found, yeah, there was a a lot of pessimism over whether or not this was going to be able to come out. It's been a push since 2016 to make this happen. And everyone just thought, you know, with the Democrats in control, that this is this is the year it's going to happen. It's a foregone conclusion. But we weren't willing to take that length down. You know, all of our, uh, it was Congresswoman Hartzler was one of those real champions on the Hill that we were able to come alongside and, and let folks know that, no, this is something we want to fight uh, and then getting our listeners and our constituents involved, we had more than 200,000 messages sent to the Hill, letting uh, Congress know that, you know, the constituents back home, grassroots, don't support this. We rallied the outside groups, you know, that we work with in coalitions and just pushed, 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 uh, going all the way back to the summer to, to finally see this happen. What was it that you think made the difference? I really think it was the constituents. I think it was the listeners, you know, the people, you know, on the Hill, they're not going to get reelected if their constituents aren't happy with how they're voting and what they're allowing to pass. And so hearing from so many folks, uh, I think really was part of the, the tipping point and, and being able to have those allies on the Hill that we did, like Senator Inhofe, Senator Hawley, Senator Lee, who would be able to work the inside-outside game, you know, and Congresswoman uh, Hartzler as well. Uh, that was sort of the one-two punch. Mary Beth Waddell, thank you so much for your time and your, I know, significant effort on this issue. We appreciate people who don't just... Uh, take what other people say is inevitable for their word and they, and they go fight anyway and, and very often really good things happen. So thank you so much. Now coming up after the break, we're going to dive back into the president's remarks today on Omicron. When is this ever going to end? That's part of the conversation we'll have with Dr. Andrew Basham when we come back. Stay with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. 
In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. It's beginning to look a lot like Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony this week. Hope that you are ready for the holidays or soon will be. A couple reminders for you. You can find this in every program at TonyPerkins.com. In addition, a great opportunity to have your contribution to Family Research Council doubled. Any gift given at TonyPerkins.com before December 31st will be doubled. This program and everything Family Research Council does is dependent entirely upon the support and generosity of friends like you, and we are grateful for it. Now, I wanted to pick up one final point, our last segment in the conversation we had with Mary Beth Waddell, on the way that the language that would have forced women to be in the draft was stripped out of the NDAA at the last minute. And she made the point, and I want to underscore this point, that there were over 200,000 people who reached out to their members of Congress through the Family Research Council and resources that were distributed to good folks like you who took the time, a handful of seconds, to make a phone call, to send an email, in some cases to make a personal visit, to communicate with their members of Congress how they felt about that issue. And ultimately, that is what made the difference in that piece of legislation. And it is so important that each of you understand how important your role is in the policy-making process. It is easy to be cynical about what happens in Washington, D.C. And no, the public does not make a difference on every single issue. But understand that as challenging as Washington, D.C. is, it would be so much more challenging if each one of us quit trying because we were frustrated with the results. And that's just one. It's just a small, but it's a very real example how even in a difficult Congress with a challenging administration, you can get things done simply by proving that you care. Because ultimately, when you're dealing with elected officials, the thing they care about most in most cases is keeping their jobs and staying in office. And enough communication from their constituents 
can give them pause about whether what they're going to do is worth the price they could pay when they have heard loudly and clearly from their constituents that their constituents are not excited about that. So if you are not connected to FRC's other communication channels, I would encourage you to go to FRC.com and sign up for the alerts for the email alerts, for the text alerts, however you like to get that information so that you can make sure you are in the loop and you are helping, along with your friends and neighbors, make a difference on this issue. Now, as I shared at the top of today's show, President Biden earlier this afternoon laid out his latest plan to address the rise in COVID. And there was a change in tone, and we talked about this at the top of the program. We talked about the fact that yesterday the White House was sending out messaging, essentially threatening people who had not been vaccinated and painting a very grim picture of what the future might look like for them. To his credit, President Biden seemed more measured today, and he told people not to panic. And we've discussed how some of the other communications may suggest that he was encouraging panic. But the fact that he was saying, at least out of one side of his mouth, don't panic, was a good thing uh, because he did run for office trying to be a divider, trying to be a uniter, excuse me. Uh, But here was his message uh, to the nation as people across America headed into the holidays. So, folks, let me summarize. We should all be concerned about Omicron, but not panicked. If you're fully vaccinated, and especially if you got your booster shot, you are highly protected. And if you're unvaccinated, you're at a higher risk of getting severely ill from COVID-19, getting hospitalized, and even dying. So the best thing to do is get fully vaccinated and get your booster shot. Joining me now to talk about the president's response to what is now the dominant strain of COVID, the Omicron variant, is Dr. Andrew Bostom, a clinical trialist and associate professor of family medicine at Brown University. Dr. Bostom, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. Now, I don't know if you had a chance to actually watch the comments, but did you? Do you have a reaction to them? I, I just, I'm just seeing them now. I, I, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to react. Um, I, I, I agree with you. You know, uh, a, 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 a positive aspect of the comments is is uh, some of the reassuring things he said. But the last statement that I, I'm just watching now um, about uh, the unvaccinated is it's just it's just misleading and false. Um, look, uh, we have data confirmed from the CDC. Um, uh, it's a small sample of the initial infections in the United States, uh, but we have much larger samples, for example, from Denmark, showing that uh, we're running roughly 80% of the people that, that are infected with the Omicron va- variant uh, are, are fully vaccinated, uh, in, in, and, and that group includes uh, people that are boosted. Um, and, and the real important message about Omicron regardless of vaccination status, um, is that uh, we have clinical measures now, clinical outcome measures now. In South Africa, which was the epicenter uh, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the Omicron wave, um, and, it's, and by the way, it's receding now already quickly in, in, in South Africa, um, they noticed that their severe morbidity uh, admissions were down uh, by, by about tenfold. They were one-tenth of what, what they were during previous waves. Um, we're seeing uh, in in uh, in in Denmark, uh, they've now characterized about eighteen thousand Omicron cases. 
uh, and they're seeing uh, a 60 percent reduction in hospitalizations relative to to previous waves. Um, you know, people can argue that South Africa is a much younger demographic. You can't argue the same uh, um, when it comes to, to Denmark. Um, the, these are these are important, uh, reassuring things uh, that that also be also needed to be added to the to the discussion. And I will say it's 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 an early report, but but at at, uh, at the end of last week, um, you know, sewage samples are monitored um, for the presence of, of, uh, of COVID, of the coronavirus. Um, and uh, uh, you, you can see, again, now mirroring what the CDC is telling us, that 73% of the new cases are, are Omicron uh, variant. Um, uh, the the um, uh, Orlando uh, sewage system, and, and I guess it was really samples from the whole um, the whole district where Orlando is in, in Providence, uh, in, I'm sorry, in, in, in Florida, um, it's um, it's Orange County. They they are they claimed that it was 100 uh, percent Omicron, and yet they were still not seeing any significant uptick in Orange County, Florida, in 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 hospitalization. Dr. Boston, so there's a lot of reassuring uh, information out there, and, and that is good news. And that though this is clearly spreading quickly, that it seems to be less severe. But does the speed of the spread, despite the prevalence of the vaccine indicate that the vaccine really is, with respect to Omicron, simply something that will mitigate the impact rather than stop the spread? Well, it's clear that it's not stop, stopping the spread when you when you see 80 percent of, of the of the positive tests, the so-called cases are, are are vaccinated to some extent or another. You know, the old standard for, for full vaccination two shots, the, the new standard uh, um, being boosted. Um, so it's clearly not prevent doing anything to, to prevent spread. Whether it's uh, having a positive impact uh, on people who are high risk in terms of uh, preventing severe morbidity and, God forbid, mortality, um, certainly that, that, that's, that's possible. However, once again, omitted from the discussion is, is the vast pool of people who have who've been previously infected who have, natu- who have naturally acquired immunity. Um, and what I can tell you from Denmark is that those people are barely even getting infected. Uh, when they looked at, at, the, at their, at their uh, uh, sampling in Denmark, only 4.3%, as opposed uh, uh, of, of the, uh, of the uh, people being infected with Omicron, uh, had a history of prior infection. Again, they're running about 80% uh, have, have, uh, have been fully vaccinated. So, you know, again, this, this, this really anti-scientific exclusion of, of natural immunity from the equation um, is, is really starting to become quite distressing. Um, you know, either, either we're going to deal with, with, with the actual science or we're going to descend into Soviet-era Lysenkoism. Uh, and, and, and that's my real concern. Now, Dr. Boston, one of the things that President Biden addressed today as we know, the vaccine is being rolled out based on age. And there are some who are still not eligible for it. And this is what President Biden had to say about children getting the vaccine. Get your children protected today, now. For those parents out there who have a child that's too young to be vaccinated, that is under the age of five, I know this can still be a scary time. Well, that's an obscenity. I'm sorry. We have to start talking frankly about this. That's an obscenity. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 the healthy child 
uh, has almost zero risk from, from COVID um, and, and is not at zero risk uh, from, from the adverse effects uh, of the vaccine, uh, including what's been well publicized and is actually on the package insert uh, now, which is, which is myocarditis, myopericarditis. Um, you know, we also have a vast pool now of, of kids, uh, like the rest of the country, who have, who have been infected. Um, and so the only randomized trial data that we have, this is what actually granted Pfizer the, their emergency use authorization in the 5 to 11-year-olds, showed that even this, this limited um, uh, 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 data that they did collect during, during the randomized trial, which is about 2,300 kids, um, was that the kids with a previous infection, these are 5 to 11-year-olds in the Pfizer randomized trial, none of them even got an infection. And what were the infections, after all, in this randomized trial? They were sniffles. There was not a single serious case in the entire cohort, regardless of, of, of whether they were vaccinated or not. So for, for this type of fear-mongering, when we know that one of the mercies of, of, of COVID-19 is, is its extremely limited impact uh, in, in the pediatric population, this is just wrong. I, I'm sorry. You, you have to call it what it is. This is just wrong. We have, we have a very low-risk population. We have a lot of kids who've already had their mild infection who are, who are naturally immune. And the idea that, 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 that it's in a, a, a priority to, to vaccinate healthy, healthy children, it, it's just wrong. Dr. Bossom, on that point and on a kind of a personal angle for me, I actually was at a, an endocrinologist with my child in the last week. And totally unrelated issue who asked about the, the COVID vaccine and I began to have a conversation about whether children should have it, was not really interested in making an argument. And, and her primary case for my children getting a vaccine is, well, they could spread it to other people. Is right. there support for that? No, that, 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 again, that's the, again, it's another logical fallacy because because um, even even Dr. Fauci of, of all people admitted in a New England Journal of Medicine editorial last week that that the that that vaccination is is not preventing transmission. Um, again, we and, and and particularly with Omicron. I mean, that's the most that that is the most striking example of of, of vaccination not preventing transmission. I mean, 83% of the, of, of the, of the cases uh, in, in Denmark were amongst the fully vaccinated. I believe in the small sample that, that Dr. Walensky presented last week from the CDC's first you know, survey data, uh, the initial, I think it was about 43 cases, um, uh, 34 of them were, were fully vaccinated, and that included people who had been boosted as well. So, no, it's, it's, it's not. It, 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 the vaccine, again, even the vaccine uh, zealots are acknowledging now that it's not preventing uh, transmission. The question is, uh, is, it, is it going to prevent serious morbidity and, God forbid, mortality in those that are high risk? Um, there are some observational data that suggest that that, that is indeed true. Um, however, even, even those data, I mean, they're limited because, because, again, the basic problem with these vaccine rollouts, and it's not just the coronavirus vaccine, is that you'd have to go all the way back. The last time we actually had a mass randomized control trial with, was, with, with vaccination, and in this case it was childhood vaccination, was the polio vaccine trial of 1954. That was a trial of 1.8 million in the randomized trial where we actually had data on preventing paralytic polio. There, there are no vaccination trials ever since 
where you actually looked at clinical outcomes. The only measure that is gauged to grant these vaccines uh, approval uh, is whether in the near term they prevent uh, infections. Um, so yes, I, I, would, I would certainly argue that you know, in the nursing home population, in the elderly high-risk population, we at least have some observational data, again, not within the randomized controlled designs, but we have some observational data to suggest that, that those, those high-risk persons may be prevented uh, from having severe you know, morbidity and, and mortality. Um, but again, it's not the best data because it's not within the randomized controlled trials. The, the randomized controlled trials never addressed those questions. Again, we'd have to go all the way back to the polio trials Dr. To, to see that kind of evidence. We got about 45 seconds. When does this end? It ends when we say it's going to end. Uh, and, and maybe Omicron, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not cheering Omicron on. It's, it's, it still is going to probably cause some, some serious morbidity in, in, and, and maybe some mortality in, in, in some high-risk populations. Um, but, but it is clearly behaving at this stage as a more as the most benign variant that, that we've seen thus far, and it may it may confer uh, enough additional mu immunity um, to to help us get to the point where um, you know the, the serious morbidity and mortality from coronavirus uh, will be abated, uh, and that and that's and that's what I I pray for. That's what we all hope and pray for, Dr. Andrew Boston. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. And we are and be in prayer because this is an issue we all want it to go away. There's going to be disputes about how that goes away, but we all want it to go away. And Lord willing, the uh, Omicron may be the exit strategy for all of us. But friends, as you get ready for Christmas, as you deal with Omicron, as you hear about Omicron, remember above all, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.